You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Awesome, fantastic. Can, can, can I suggest that you know, sometimes we, we, we think of sound and music and everything as just that those who sing and, um, and set up equipment that... But I think it would be really good to have people who are prophetic, who are discerning, who are um, intercessors, to be part of the team as well. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be there every week, but you are their bacon and not eggs. It, you, you know what I mean? Um, and just to be able to say to the worship team, I prophetically feel something, and then the worship team has something to prophetically go on, so that it's not up to like the, the users and stewards to hear God for the songs and the frequencies and, and the sounds of what's happening in the, in the season to come, but that we have more people who are committed. And, you know, and one of the things, thanks Mark, one of the things I just love about either sitting here in the mornings when I'm not busy and just soaking whilst the musos practice, or if I can, to join them on a, on a Wednesday evening if they practice on Wednesday, is you just sit in, 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 in an atmosphere of worship and you soak up. And it's my personal little time of, of glory you know God, God God provides a a a concert for me once a week and I'm the only person there and the whole concert is for me and I just sit there and, and soak it up but when I do that I I come into the Sunday morning with far more alignment to to what is happening um, and so yeah so I just want to really encourage folk to 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 get involved and to to help um, and even if it's just to, to help with set up or, or set down, it's appreciated. Just say that even though this morning's prayer meeting, if, if, you, if you missed the prayer meeting, I, I just want to encourage you to make every effort to, to join in because it really, again, it just allows us to be able to come onto the same frequency and we, we kind of come off the, the short roads and the dirt roads and we all kind of merge on the autobahn of glory if we've been in the prayer meeting together. Um, Amen. What I wanted to do, as I said earlier on, there was just so much that came out of the prayer meeting that is part of what I'm going to be sharing on this morning. And I think we do need chicken curry next week. And I think we do need chicken curry curry next week. Um, But there's just so much that was said um, in the prayer meeting that happened, you know, and gave through, through, through my notes. So if there's something that you think was in the prayer meeting that comes through, then just go bingo. And we just see how many people remember and are able to like join the dots. And, and for me, it's great because it's a thread that it's not just an isolated event. Because if it's just like, a, you know, a burp in time, you know, okay, this 30 minutes and that 30 minutes. But we, we want to say, well, God, what are you doing during the course of the week and through different people? What are you weaving amongst us? And it goes into the prayer meeting and then it comes into this morning's meeting. And hopefully it, it, it brings life during the course of the week and Jesus gets glorified during the course of the week. And then we come back into next Sunday and there's a building on from one degree of glory to another. Bingo. You know, um, as we as we move on, because God's doing something in our story, in our lives, and, and and all of it is wound into into together. Um, and so, I just want to. I had a number of little things that I wrote down from the prayer meeting this morning, but I can't find that section 
of where I wrote it down. So we'll move on. Fantastic. Take your time. Have your preset lunch. Uh, we'll just add an extra 30 minutes onto it and fast forward. So I've been showing from the book of Ephesians. Well done. Over the past couple of weeks, I'm continuing with the book of Ephesians. And this morning, I want to start a, a mini part of that called a, a, new, a new Humanity. I'm cutting down on my, on my coffee, so if I usually ask for water to turn to wine. Now I'm just asking, Lord, turn it into an Americano. I've got one of my, my specialists. He, um, his name is something like Angel, um, and he works at Four Ways Life. And I try and get a couple of my specialists, to him, to do some of my other work. And so I had to go for a checkup uh, about two weeks ago before I go in for scans and that. And this do- I'm waiting for the doctor, and he walks through. Um, and he says to his, his, his receptionist, oh, bring Stuart through, and I just know it's going to be a long one. And we go, go through, and um, maybe I shouldn't say this on, um, on air, but so we, we, we start chatting, and I'm going, dude, I, I know his name. Um, how are you doing? He's going, I'm so frustrated because I've got um, family who are in hospital at the moment, and, and you know, I'm not their doctor, but their doctor gives them information, and I give them information, and they come back to me and they say, well, Dr. Google said that we need to do this, and, you know, and he just gets so frustrated. I'm going, okay, fine, well, I'm not one of those people. I'll tell you what Dr. Allison says, and then we do that. So he says to me, so Stu, how's your coffee going? So I go, Angel, um, just go to the worst extreme, and we start from there. So he goes, okay, Stu, now I'm your doctor, not your friend. How much are you drinking? So I tell him how much I'm drinking. He says, Stuart, that is so bad. You have to come down to six a day. That's, your, that's what I'm expecting of you, coming down to six a day. My, my coffee consumption is in double digits, and the first digit is not one. It is shocking. It is shocking. Sorry? I am getting a lot of water, flavored water. So, so he goes, Stuart, that is so bad. You've got to get down to six. So I go, I know Angel. So it sounds quite awkward calling a, a bloke an angel now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm find another name for it. So he says, how's your red meat doing? So I said, dude, go to the worst extreme and just work from there. He goes, I'm asking you as your doctor now, how much? I go, at least one red meat every day. And he goes, Stuart, you've got to have two red meat free days a week. So I said, I did that for two or three weeks in about April. So he says, really bad, really bad. So he says, how's your exercise going? So I go, really good. So he says, how good? So I said, I'm trying to play squash at least twice a week. And sometimes my heartbeat gets up to about 180. He goes, really bad. <laughs> at your age, your heart rate should never be above 165. Very bad. Now I'm booking in to go see another specialist. You've got to go to the cardiologist for your birthday. So there's a 6,000 rand uh, there. So, yeah, so we don't always... We don't always get it right. And as I work through Ephesians, I'm going, Lord, with my health, with my spirituality, with my healing, with my character, sometimes I think I'm doing good and I need accountability for someone to say, really bad. And sometimes I think I can dodge the bullets and someone to say, no, I'm holding you to, to account on that. And so we continue from the series of Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And I described a little bit about Ephesus over the past couple of weeks. 
I just want to remind us this morning that we can read through stories in Scripture and we go, well, that was good for them. But does it really have relevance for us today? And as Paul writes to the, the church in Ephesus, it's as relevant to us in Johannesburg today as it is and was for them then. I believe that this message and this book in this time is strategically and prophetically challenging today's church and today's culture. And we've said a, a number of times over the past couple of weeks that God is doing a new thing in us. Bingo. There's something new that is happening. God is wanting to rem- take us away from, from the old. Trevor said there's a new expression that's happening in the church today. Bingo. E- um, e- uh, um, who was it? My, my writing's bad. Ira said, um, we need to get into the river. It's, it's not the old ideas. It's not the old package. It's a new way of doing things. So many times we would surrender. Bingo, bingo, bingo. Came, came through. And so as we go through the book of Ephesians, Holy Spirit, won't you allow us to grasp and understand the strategic, the prophetic message that you're bringing to us as a church and as a community and as a city today? Paul's writing this letter from his prison cell. And I get the sense that Paul is not just writing a letter, but in this, Paul is worshipping through his letters from his prison cell. So we often think that Paul is writing, but I believe that Paul is worshipping, that Paul is in a zone of prophetic ministry as he's scribing and writing things down from his prison cell. During the past, um, or a couple of weeks ago, I was sharing some of my hurts and, and my church um, pains and frustrations with a friend of mine, Chris Charlton. And he says, Stuart, in light of all that you've been through, in, in light of your hurts, the way church and people and leaders and everything have let you down, why on earth do you still do what you, you do? Because you just kind of get smacked again. I'm okay, but the reality is this, and, and it's fascinating because often our most painful and in our most darkest seasons of our lives come the most profound lessons and learning that are lasting moments of glory and transformation. And the reality is I don't want the hurts. I don't want people to let me down. I don't want people to hurt me. I don't want, in, in, in my mind, it, it, it's been spiritual abuse that's happened. And sometimes as leaders, we need to understand that sometimes leaders can abuse people. And there needs to be more and more accountability in these areas. And where I've suffered what I believe is, is spiritual abuse, I've chosen to say, Father God, let this be a lesson. Let me learn from it. Let me be transferred. Let me not run away, but run to you and what you are doing. And Paul writes some of the most theologically impactful letters. These letters and what he's writing, and the reason why I believe that they were prophetic letters is that they are are lasting and that they are influencing, that they're challenging people and communities 2,000 years later. So from his dark cell, he's writing these things. And I wonder if Paul realized that 2,000 years later, people will be learning from what he is writing right now. That in itself is absolutely profound. The first three chapters of this book are both theological and practical. Paul is saying, this is who you are. Paul is writing about your identity. And the last three chapters, he is saying, now because of who you are, and because of your identity, this is how you get to live. I want to tell you who you are, now live 
as who you are. Friends, I'm wanting to throw out a challenge. It's not enough just to know your theology. It's what you do with your theology that matters. Too many people have a theological viewpoint, but their theological viewpoint doesn't anchor itself, isn't transferred and transformed into either their lives or having a glorious, great impact on the people around them. So it's not just enough to know your theology, it is what you do with your theology that counts. It doesn't matter that you just know Jesus. What do you do with the knowledge of Jesus? It doesn't just help that you know that Jesus can heal. What do you do with the knowledge that Jesus heals? That Jesus loves you and has called you to love one another. How does that look? Rather than just a mission statement, but something that matters in our lives. I'm convinced that we live in a day where the nuances, the stories, the tensions, the divisions around us require a church that not only knows what they believe, but knows what they need to do with what they believe. And a couple of months ago I shared on, we need to know the times and know what to do with the times. Friends, our theology matters. But how we theology matters more than our theology. If it's just theology, it can become religious. But how we theology becomes relational. Do you know that it's possible to live out the way of Jesus without living in the spirit of Jesus? I would suggest that there are a lot of Christians who do this. So we need a good theology, we need a good identity, but we need to know how to live out our theology and how to live out our identity in a way that forms and transforms us, me, and the people around me. If the people around us aren't changing, aren't being transformed, aren't seeing Jesus in it, we might understand Jesus, but we don't understand the way of Jesus. We may understand the man of Jesus, but we're not operating in the spirit of Jesus Christ. How the church matters, not just why the church matters. Sometimes we can get so hell-bent, now I use that word, we can get so hell-bent on why church matters, but it's how church matters as well. I'm not talking about a Sunday morning meeting, I'm talking about a lifestyle and a covenant committed community of people. How do we do church? How do we do life the way that God intended and brought us together to do? I look at you most Sundays. And I look at these like gorgeous, interesting, unusual people around me. Just want to say, have a look around at the people around you. The reality is only God could have brought this group together. And part of that is God wants us to lock shields. Thank you. God wants us to lock shields together. And sometimes I look at people around me, I go, I choose you, I choose you, and I choose you. And if if I had a choice, I would choose people that were quite similar to me. I would have very little fit people. Nobody who does marathons, nobody who does mountain biking, nobody who does serious hiking. 
I would probably have a serious lack of healthy people around me. I would have people probably drink too much wine, enjoy cheese and biscuits too much, and you know, I, I would probably become. Sorry, I would live in a coffee shop. But the reality is, God looks at my needs, my shortcomings, my lacks, my gaps, and He says to you, "I'm going to put people around you to plug the gaps in your armor." And so we get to lock shields together, lock arms together, as you prophetically did in the prayer meeting this morning, to be able to say, together, we're going to grow and transform and move and have our being as Holy Spirit takes us forward. Only God moves us into position, and only God should take us out of position. And sometimes we move ourselves out of position too early, too prematurely, because of disappointments, because of hurts, because of church leaders. And even this week as I've been praying, Father, I've been a church leader for most of my life. Forgive me for all the people that I've hurt, even if I've done it unintentionally over the past couple of decades. And Paul the writer, Paul the worshiper writes in chapter 1, you have been chosen, you have been adopted, you have been loved, you have been made alive and this culminates in Ephesians 2 verse 10 for we are God's masterpiece he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago we are God's masterpiece the Bible is far more communal than it is individual Paul says our Lord, 53 times, and he says, my Lord, once. And I think this is because the first time we meet Jesus, everything in us changes from me to our, from mine to his. That maybe somehow encountering Jesus graduates us from the me and Jesus movement or model into the our Lord Friends, I often hear people say, you know, it's just my personal, Jesus as my personal Savior, my personal relationship with, with Jesus. But the phrase Jesus as my personal Savior is never, ever used in the Scriptures. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, He says, Our Father. Not my Father, but our Father. And maybe the most healing thing that can happen in divided churches and communities today is a revelation that together we come to our Father. That we change our thinking from my Father to our Father and that brings us to our Lord. Together we become His masterpiece. You alone, no matter how gorgeous you might be, you alone are not his masterpiece, but you alone are a piece of his masterpiece. But the masterpiece, the plan, the bride, the purpose of heaven and kingdom is community. It's our Father, our Lord. There are too many people, I suggest too many believers, not living in the fullness of who they should be, bingo, because they are consumed with me 
and my Jesus. Friends, you and Jesus are not the point of the gospel. You and Jesus is not the point of your story and you and Jesus are not the point of his story. You and Jesus are one step removed from being a cult. A tiny step removed from being a cult. Because the reality and the point is the kingdom is about we together and we together becoming his masterpiece. And one of, our, one of my prayers is this, that our Lord, that the Our Father prayers would pierce our individual, Western, charismatic, isolated Christianity. Because coming into Our Father changes everything. Our Father makes the people around us our brothers and our sisters. It's a DNA and not a charismatic bumper sticker that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And as soon as we start to say it's me and my Jesus, me and my Father, we lose sight of the fact that we are in a family. And then the people around us can only be brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters, if we have the same Father. And we have that when it's our Father and not mine. It's in the DNA and not the charismatic bumper sticker that we have our family. Even when we don't agree, he is still our father and that means we're brothers and sisters. It's not only when we don't agree, it's especially when we don't agree that he becomes and remains our father and therefore in our father we have our brothers and our sisters. The letter to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, would have been written to the church in Ephesus, but it would have been passed around from home group to home group and from church to church and from city to city. They would have probably even taken portions of it and swapped it around as they did different things. Because Ephesus is this hub, it's this great gathering place, it's where everybody came together. And so this letter was probably written to the church of Ephesus, because that's where it would have been distributed the most. Now in our day, God would have done something in Johannesburg to distribute it. It's unlikely that it would have happened in Kokstadt. You know, all due respect to Mark and Shaman and friends of mine who lead a church in Kokstadt, but it probably would have happened in, in, in Joburg. At, mm, no, it wouldn't have happened in Cape Town. And then because everybody was gathered there, they would have taken part of it and then taken all that good news and all the gospel to the ends of their community. Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 13. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it had affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, if you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship amongst the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made with them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus. So here we get Paul who is speaking to the followers of Jesus and the people he is speaking to are both Jews and Gentiles. And some people think he was only speaking to one group, but he wasn't. He was speaking to both Jews and Gentiles who found themselves 
in these local house churches, living out the new way of Jesus. They were getting to know Jesus and they were getting to become more like Jesus. And in this mix, Paul reminds them, don't forget, friends, don't forget Jews, don't forget Gentiles, don't forget early church, that you were once outsiders. You were once excluded because of what was happening. Sorry, because of what was happening is that the Jews here were the chosen people. They were chosen to serve a nation. They'd taken the platform and used their specialness, but they, 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 they were once outsiders. They'd come, they'd come into faith, they'd come into the church, they'd come into, the, into kingdom, and, and, and instead of realizing who they are now, they still lived off an old paradigm, off an old way of thinking. So they still used their, their old way, their specialness, the way that they thought they were special, the way that they were, thought they were set apart in, a, in, in an ungodly way to lift not, not to lift others up, but to label people. And so they started to label people. They started to decide who was in and who was out. They started to say who was welcome and who wasn't, who was free and who wasn't free. And Paul's reminded them, don't forget that once you were those that were outside. And God has brought you in and he's bringing everyone in. So stop labeling people and start lifting people up into who they are. The early church were taking the uniqueness of their friendship with God and rather than inspiring people, they were isolating people. They should be taking who they are inspiring people to become more like them. Inspiring people to become like Jesus in them. Inspiring people to lay down and sacrifice their lives. Inspiring people to be more pork than chicken. But instead... Instead, they were isolating those around them. The Jews had so profoundly missed their God calling. They were using their privilege not to serve, but to segregate. How often do we segregate people around us rather than serving them? They had taken their special calling. They stood on the pedestals of their spirituality. But rather than being connected to God, so they could connect others to him. They were cancelling our people's view and opportunities and salvation and bringing people into fullness. And so this, friends, is what Paul was addressing. Rather than taking this exceptionalism and offering it freely to the world, they segregated, they labeled, they saw themselves as elite. They saw others as inferior. They relegated people to a area to a camp to a community I'm not, I'm not talking about literally but in their mind that they they, they they relegated people to an unworthy you're unworthy because of a you're unworthy because of b you're unworthy because of c because you do this and think like this and act like this or eat like this or drink like this or gamble like this or watch this or behave like this you are segregated you are no longer worthy to come into our, our presence and the story is painfully familiar to me as you look around at the church today, I would suggest that the church, her leaders, and a lot of her believers who are called and mandated to love one another are often using our so-called superior spirituality, using our privilege of being God's people, not to love, but to be right. 
Too often we get hellbent on defending our perspective or our point of view. We defend the Christian rules, movements, values, denominations, politics. But we defend something that Jesus never asked us to defend. Standing on our pedestal of righteousness and self-righteousness, we fight against the world rather than loving the world. We fight against one another rather than loving and serving one another. It becomes about our perspectives and our, 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 our opinions rather than humbling ourselves to be love. Bingo. This is what the early church had done. And Paul smashes this thinking so directly and into touch. Does it sound somewhat familiar for the local church today? We're here for those who are healed. We're not, we've no longer become a sickbed for those who need Jesus. If, you, if you've messed up, make yourself right before you come to church. If you're gay, make yourself sorted before you come to church. If you are going through divorce, sort yourself out before you come to church. If you're in financial ruin, sort yourself out before you come to church. If you smell, sort yourself out before you come to church. If you're poor, go find a job so that you can tithe before you come to church. The godly narrative of having to protect God. We often feel that we have to protect the church. We have to protect God. We have to protect the king. We have to protect his image. My goodness, what will people think of Jesus if the gay community came to church? Because never called us to protect him. I often hear people wanting to take back, Jesus, take back South Africa for Jesus. As if he needs us to take anything back for him. When did Jesus lose South Africa? We often say, we, we, you know, I'm going to take, take my business back for Jesus. When did Jesus lose it? Who took it from him? When did Jesus give up our glorious nation? Now we have to go and fight so we can give it back to him. It is his. It's always been his. And it always will be his. And as soon as we have that thinking and that idea and that theology, as soon as we live that theology, we no longer contend and fight for things that Jesus never called us to fight for. But what did Jesus do? Mark read it in the prayer meeting this morning. Bingo, bingo, bingo. <laughs> Thank you. Philippians 2 verse 6. Though he was God and friends, you are not God. He was God. He is God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is Jesus. He is not fighting against the world. He is not fighting against one another. He is not fighting for his opinion and his theology and his thoughts and his likes and his perspective. He humbled himself and gave up everything. Jesus who laid down his right. Jesus laid down his privilege. The Jesus who can defend himself in every possible way humbles himself to the point 
of death. He is the one that we are following. And so often we feel that we need to fight and not submit. We need to contend and not submit. I was looking for, thinking of a different word than submit. He is the one that we are following. I want you to remind us this morning that we are not here to fight for space in the world. We are not here to fight to take over the world. We're not here to fight for a cause, a doctrine, a theology, a denomination. We are not even called to fight for Jesus. We are called to lay down our lives. And the reason why we are called to lay down our life is so that the world would meet God. And not your perspective, your point of view, or even your theology. So the world will meet God, who is reconciling the world to himself. Not to your thinking. And so what happens is this. We often fight to be right. We fight for our opinions. We even fight for our theology. And then a strange thing happens. As soon as we fight for our theology, we fight to be right, and we fight for God, and we fight for the church, and we fight for our, you know, and, and then we, the world pushes back. And what happens when the world pushes back? And the world or things come against us. We get excited. We call it persecution. The world is pushing back. The world is fighting against my fight. I know that this is there for Jesus. Because if the world wasn't coming against me, actually the world isn't coming against me. The world's coming against Jesus. No. The world's just coming against you, your perspective, your thinking, your view of theology. And friends, when things come against us, we take it. This is proof that we are doing the right thing. The fact that the world hates me means I'm doing the right thing. The fact that the gay community don't like me proves that I'm on the right cause. The fact that my office don't like me proves that my character and my attitude and my personality, they can just see Jesus in me. No, they can see an idiot. They can see somebody who's self-righteous, arrogant, obnoxious, full of themselves, and not demonstrating the love of Jesus. And so when things come against you, it's not often that it's because you're doing the right thing. That's why you need to be armored together. Friends, when people come against you, it's not persecution. I would suggest that more likely than not, it's pride. Now, I do understand that sometimes there is persecution. And I do understand that sometimes we are contending and we're fighting a good fight. I do understand that sometimes we need to contend and intercede for. But I'm suggesting that a lot of the time, our persecution is just a bit of pride. I would suggest that the early church would gladly swap their persecution for yours. And this book confronts and calls the church 
to something worth living for. Bingo. To something worth laying down one's life for. To something worth gathering together as a community on a Sunday morning for. Sometimes when I speak to people, I hear things like the church has never been so divided as it is now. That nations have never been so divided as they are now. But I think we are infants and novices in understanding what division and persecution really is. And so as we move into this new season, as we move into a season of now revival, bingo, we can learn from Paul's letters. And we can learn something from Jesus himself. I think often as believers and even as leaders, we draw lines in the sand. This is who's in. This is who's out. This is what I believe. This is what I don't. This is my point of no return. This is my black and white. This is my no-go. This is my something. And I think that most of the time when we draw a line, Jesus is the first one to step over. And then we left on the other side of the line. We draw a line. If you do this, God loves you. If you don't, God doesn't. Jesus, walk over the line. I'm going to love you regardless of the line. If you sort out, this is the line. When you sort out your mess, you can come this side. Jesus goes that side. We left on the religious side. Think of all the lines that we draw. Jesus never removes himself. Jesus positions himself. And so friends, as we embrace on a, on something new, something exciting, something dynamic, as we seek the, the prophetic, the apostolic heart of God for this community, for our city, for our nation, for our glorious nation, let's remind ourselves this morning that God doesn't draw lines. It's about loving and not being right. It's about inspiring and not isolating. It's about serving and not segregating. It's about, can it's about connecting and not cancelling. It's about positioning ourselves so that people can see Jesus in us. In His glorious name. Thank you. More candles? Anything? Let's just adopt a, a posture of surrender.
I'm going to pray for myself. And if it resonates with you, won't you echo an agreement? Or if you feel led, pray for what Holy Spirit is doing in you. And if you feel that anything resonates and Holy Spirit is doing something in you so that He can do something through you, won't you stand just as an acknowledgement of engagement with Holy Spirit and surrender? Father, I thank you. That in the moments and the times where I become so frustrated, where I felt hurt and abused by leaders and church, that you choose to draw me to you rather than push me away. Where in those moments where I have been tempted or I have walked from you because of the hurts of man, this morning I apologize and I turn around and I walk towards you so that those hurts can be profound opportunities for healing. Father, where I have drawn lines in the sand and I've been black and white, where I've demanded 30 seconds to get over things, I repent. Because I want you to do a work and not a formula or a function. Where I've made it about my Father, my Kingdom, my Lord. Well, I've made the kingdom and the scriptures individualistic and not corporate and community. Where those thoughts or statements have prevented me from understanding the beauty of brotherhood and sisterhood, where we can join arms and contend and fight for one another. I apologize. Holy Spirit, where I have allowed an identity of self and self-righteousness to overwhelm and override my understanding of king and kingdom. Where I've allowed my disagreements to be about the me rather than the he. I repent this morning. So about the me rather than the we. I repent this morning. Where I've segregated or labeled people. This morning, I want to welcome and engage with people. Jesus, you lay down your life. And sometimes I don't want to lay down my hour. Let alone a day. But Holy Spirit, I know that you in me is taking me on a journey of profound transformation, of personal growth and glorious transformation. And so I choose this morning to submit myself to that.
I thank you that on the foundations of your bride, the foundations of your cross, we have a glorious inheritance ahead for us. Lord, you are taking us from one degree of glory to another. And I choose that over all else. I'd rather go through the frustrations of navigating the future than being stuck in the past. I thank you for this group of people. I thank you for this family. I declare favor and victory of brilliance and breakthrough over everyone this morning. May the testimony of the miracle of Roy's surgery be a reminder that you are a God of the impossible and with surgeons and man sow seeds of doubt, we hang on to the word, the living, glorious word that in you we have everything and through you we are everything. And Father, I want my life to count, not just for me and my King, but for our community and our Lord. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in me so that it can be done through me. And even, Lord, I, I, I just think often I draw a line and I say, this is a line that I won't go over. And, and sometimes I draw a line and say, These are the, this is the area that you no longer welcome in. I, I don't trust you in this. I don't want you to come and change this. Or you can't change this. I remind myself this morning that you are a God of can. And I pray for Anton, who's just burnt himself in the kitchen. Won't you come and break through and heal him? Because you want the small things as well as the big things. And we label things small and big. I don't believe that you do. But I choose to leave here this morning changed, transformed, and up for renewal. Gonna come forward. I just felt I just wanted to pray for you. I love the fact that Mark's bringing a, a word. We were talking before um, worship this morning. And so often we run to a prophetic meeting or a prophetic encounter for something of God. And my view is that that must be like the 10% of the time we run somewhere for God. Because God is running to us. And so for me, the more important, often the more profound prophetic words happen in an environment like this. They happen over a cup of coffee. They happen on a run. They happen when we are doing life together and God is there. When God's not in your life, in your day-to-day walk, then maybe you have to run to where God is doing something. But those things should become the the minority because God wants to break through in every moment of every day so I just love it that this is a 
Signs and wonders follow the preaching of the word. Thank you for listening. 